Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, good afternoon. Today on the broadcast, we again have Pastor Ben Blakey from Compass Bible Church. How you doing, brother? Doing so great to be. It's great to be with you guys. Yeah, where, what website? Uh, if people are looking for a church in the, are you in the Eagle area? We're in Meridian. Okay, Meridian area. Uh, CompassBible.tv, Compass Bible Church, brand new church plant just opened up last month. Perfect. Russ, Pastor Russ, what's your guys' website for Cloverdale? Uh, CloverdaleURC.org. And then Pastor Phil? We are ChristPressVoice.org. Excellent. All right, so we are continuing to trek through some questions that our listeners have sent in, and we're, we're just kind of staying on the theme of the sovereignty of God. If you've missed any of our past broadcasts, just go to ReformationBoise.com, and you can click on the link there. Today, we're asking the question about predestination. Uh, here's the question. When someone who doesn't know what they believe or don't believe in predestination asks about it, how should you explain it to them? What is predestination? <laughs> well, predestination simply means that uh, God has chosen from all eternity those that he will call to himself. It means that our salvation is not de- dependent on us. It means that when we are saved, um, and, we, and this, there's so many misunderstandings about it, and I'm sure we'll get into this as the show goes on. It doesn't mean we're robots and but and it doesn't mean we don't have decisions to make uh, in response to God's initiative. Um, but it does mean that when we are saved, uh, we give all glory to God. Mm-hmm. It was it wasn't me, uh, God. This was all you're doing that you called me to yourself that you sent your Son for me that that you reached into my life when I was dead in my sin and gave me life and called me to yourself. It's your doing. That's, that's what we're talking about when we say predestination, that God, God chose from all eternity who he will call to himself. I think I would want to just go and just establish, because there's so much negative um, reaction towards the word itself, just to, just to demonstrate that it's a biblical word. Yeah, um, you, you have some people that will say things that are just almost nonsensical in the in the Christian community of I don't believe in predestination. Well, you have to if you believe in the Bible because it's a biblical word. It's not a reformed word. It's not a it's not a theological term that somebody made up. It's a biblical truth. Right. And so then now let's have the conversation of okay, we all believe in predestination. Now what do we believe? What do we choose to, how do we choose to work with the term that's a biblical terminology? So I'm saying this because I, I was invited to a, a, a church or a, a Christian school in the valley where I was engaging with some, some 
eighth graders, and they really did say, well, I don't believe in predestination. Well, they didn't just come up with that on their own. They were taught that by their parents or their church to say, right. well, we don't believe in predestination. Yeah. Well, please don't say that. Define what you mean, but don't say that you don't believe a biblical term. I think it's a really good point because the word Trinity is actually not in the Bible. That's an actually an actual extra biblical term. Mm-hmm. But the word predestination is all over the New Testament. Yep. I'm not, now, I'm not saying we don't believe in the Trinity. I'm just yeah. simply pointing out the biblical language. It sounded like you were saying we don't believe in the Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear. Just separating myself from Josh. It's refreshing. Again. <laughs> Again. It, it's refreshing, I think, sometimes when you get to explain this concept to a new believer yeah. who doesn't come in with, you know, baggage of oh, Calvinism versus Arminism and, you know, endless debates on that when they're just reading their Bibles. Yeah. And especially in situations like that, I think... You know, the power of an analogy or a story can be helpful in explaining it. And I don't have to think of one. The Bible uses a story to explain this concept. And even if you just open up a new believer to their in their Bibles to Ephesians chapter one and verse five, it simply says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of. Of his will. It's all right there. The yeah. word is right there. It's according to the purpose of his will. And there's the picture. Yeah. Everybody understands adoption. Yeah. And you just ask him, okay, adoption, who starts that process? Mm-hmm. Is it the parent that goes out and chooses a, and seeks out a child? Or is it a child that chooses the parent? It's the parents, the, the ones yeah. doing the adoption begin that process. And that's the biblical picture of predestination. Absolutely. Amen. Go ahead. You're going to say something. I was going to, but then I decided I was just going to pause a moment. Have you ever been told that you look like Jerry Lewis? No. <laughs> you know, I never noticed that before, but now I can't get it out of my mind. He does. My my yeah. wife says, you know, are you going to Jerry Lewis's church tonight? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. That was totally off. I, I have to get you back, though. Now speechless. <laughs> speechless. All right. Um, I, I did you, think, you did have something to say. Well, I, I think it's, and it's related at least in part to what we were talking about yesterday. How does God predetermine? Because that's really predestination is, is the sense of what's in the word. How does God determine ahead of time those things that take place um, and still involve, if you will, the will of the person? Um, because I think that's still going to be a struggle for people that... Um, that's why what, what the the stumbling block of predestination is because somehow it it seems to attack our our independence our uh, autonomy and I, I just I, I guess I'm might be helpful to go to Acts chapter four um, and, and what you have here is that they're giving testimony about the work that they're involved in and it says in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. Whom you anointed, both Herod and Pilate, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So all these people are against Jesus. And then it says, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Mm-hmm. Praying to God and saying, all these people were against Jesus, but it was according to your hand and your plan that you had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon your their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that here this evil act, the, the most atrocious act in history, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the wrongful um, death and condemnation of an innocent man was according to God's plan, according to his his predestination and and predetermining of those events. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all things underneath his, his care. Yeah. Can I – I want to go to a different text. The one that oftentimes people trip over is in Romans 9 where, where Paul is specifically talking about uh, election and he is bringing up the example of the children of Isaac. And it says, uh, though they – verse 11, though they were not yet born and had uh, done nothing either good or bad in order – so this is independent of what they're even doing in their life. In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, that's Rebecca, the older will serve the younger, as is written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Now, we talked on the other the other day about how election, in one sense, presupposes total depravity. And I know that a lot of evangelicals, when we read that verse, especially the last part, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated, we immediately cringe because we're like, how could God hate anybody? And that's totally the wrong question. Right. How, why would God love anybody? Why would God – and we're talking about fallen, rebellious sinners – and we have this idea in our head that we're born in this morally neutral state, that we're just kind of that tabula rasa, the blank slate, that, that we're just merely products of our environment. No, from birth, the Bible says that we're born rebels in God. And the question is, why would God love anybody? Yeah, you've you got to ask the question when, you, when, you, when you're dealing with a, with a text like, you know, Jacob I loved, Esau, Esau I hated. Um, You've got to go back to the whole doctrine of election goes back to God's choosing of a people Israel. Why was it fair? I mean, from a human perspective, if we're going to apply purely humanistic ideas of fairness, God should have revealed himself to the whole world, right? God should have revealed himself to everybody universally. He should have done skywriting. And so that everybody in the world, no, God chose one people, the Jews, and then in that people, one particular line that he designates generation after generation that I'm choosing the line of Jacob to be my people. And that's just God's, you know, I don't know how to save a world. God does. We have to accept, if we're going to accept the God of the Bible, right, opposed to the God of our own imagination, this is the way God works by calling to himself a people as, as he wills. Now, his will is that Israel is going to be a light to the nations, right? That through Israel, the, the, all the world is going, to, is going to hear of the saving love of God. But his way is to choose this particular line. Um, and he does that over and over again through, throughout the biblical story. Mm. You reference Romans chapter 9, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Three verses later, I think it's one of the clearest verses, especially if you're just explaining it, like this question says to somebody that's not sure what they believe, Romans 9, 16, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Mm-hmm. Again, it's right there. It, it's not our choice that we chose God. He chose, and his choice was merciful. Yeah. Because what we've already seen in Romans, rewind the tape to chapter 3, 
all have sinned and fallen short. There is nobody who is righteous. All right. stand right. condemned. And if you try to wrestle with this and say, well, well, why did God choose those that he chose? And the answer is, well, because he loved them. But why did he love them? And then you can't go back any further back. Mm-hmm. Because you get to the point where you realize he loved them because he loved them. Yeah. Right. And the reason lies in the heart of God. Yeah. And But this is what cuts human pride. It does. It does. We w- so much of our love is conditioned. And here we find a love that it's in spite of the object, not because of the object. It's because of the one that whose heart overflows with love that he wants an object and he'll make the object worthy of the love. And that's really at the heart of what predestination is. It's God choosing an unworthy object and making it worthy of the love that he um, places upon it. Mm. If we had a better understanding of the holiness of God, we'd have a better view of the sinfulness of man mm-hmm. and we'd have a lot less of a hard time understanding yeah. predestination yeah. and election. Yeah. A lot of our confusion stems from, and I just want to say an amen to that, Ben, because a lot of our confusion stems and a lot of our visceral objection to the doctrine of election stems from a sentimental view of God rather than a biblical view of who God is. That God is like a big grandpa in the sky who just dotes on everybody and doesn't take sin too seriously. I think one of R.C. Sproul's most memorable quotes is, our problem is we don't know who God is and we don't know who we are. Yeah. And quite honestly, most of our confusion and questions and angst in the Christian life is because of those two things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We hope that you've been enjoying this topic as much as we have. If you would like to get caught up on our past topics on this issue, just go to info at reformationboise.com or go to the iTunes store and subscribe to our podcast, The Gospel for Life. We hope to see you next time. 